Father, we come to you into the very Holy of Holies through your Son and our Lord Jesus Christ. And we say to you, uh, great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not, and thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Summer and winter, springtime and harvest, sun, moon, and stars in their courses above. They join with all nature in manifold witness to thy great faithfulness, mercy, and love. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth, and thy own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning. New mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness. Lord, unto me. We know that to be true, Lord. We know that to be true. And we are grateful. If it were all dependent on our faithfulness, it would have been over a long time ago. But you are faithful. We are learning to be faithful, but you are faithful in your nature, in your character. You, you can't help but be faithful. And we've seen it and we've experienced it. And we live off of your faithfulness. We live off of your promises to be faithful. And, and we look back over our lives, even before we knew you, and we see your goodness and we see your kindness to us. These are not easy days in which we're living. Uh, I don't hear a lot of people running around saying things are getting better and better. And as believers who know your word, we know things aren't going to get better and better. Things are going to get more difficult. But that doesn't mean that we don't have hope. We do have hope. Every morning, it's fresh mercy. Every morning. Shoot, there are some of us in here, six months ago, we didn't think we were going to make it through the month. And we made it. And there are guys that didn't think they were going to make it through last week, and they made it. And perhaps um, even last night, guys are thinking, I don't know how I'm going to get through tomorrow. But here we are, and it's almost gone, and we've made it because your mercies are new every morning. You amaze us how you take care of us and how you provide for us. You amaze us. You come up with things, Lord, that if we had a million years, we'd never think about a solution like that. So we stop and we look back and we say thank you for demonstrating your faithfulness. All that does is build our faith for the future. We acknowledge your greatness. We acknowledge your faithfulness. And we acknowledge that we cannot live without you. Lead us. Direct us. Navigate our steps. The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. We count on that. It's in your word. It's the truth, and it's how life works. 
We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I mentioned last week that the baseball teams were coming out of spring training. Uh, it's it, it is always kind of a little a bit of amazing to me that the best baseball players in the world every year go back to Florida or Arizona and they work on fundamentals. And the reason they work on fundamentals is that basically the key to whatever it is that you are doing, whether it's your business, whether it's your career, whether it's your family, whether it's athletics, it doesn't matter if it's basketball, doesn't matter if it, whatever it is, the key is to keep going back to the fundamentals and, um, and doing them well. So that's why baseball guys that have been playing since they're six years old and who are the best in the world still work on their pickoff moves. That's why... Um, that's why basketball players still do certain drills. That's why football players do certain things. Because basically, to be successful, however you want to define that, to be productive in life, you've got to stay on track with the fundamentals. And whenever, in any area of life, whenever we get off the fundamentals, we're not as productive. And, and something will happen, and it'll give us a moment of realization, say, wait a minute, wait a minute, I've got to go back to this. Because this is fundamentally sound, and if, and if I'm going to be a certain kind of man, then I've got to work certain kinds of fundamentals. Um, Eugene Peterson wrote a, a book for pastors. Uh, he's the guy that did the message Bible, you know, the, the uh, paraphrase. Well, he was a pastor for 20-some years in Maryland, and uh, he did a little book called Working the Angles. How many of you guys are pastors? Great. This has no application to your life. <laughs> so why am I telling you this? I, don't, I have no idea. Except that if you are a pastor, here, here's why Peterson wrote this little book, Working the Angles. And, and it's not that big of a book. It's just a little... He, he's saying there's certain angles you've got to work. Hey, if you're a pastor... There are certain things that you have to do. Why is he writing a book about certain fundamentals that pastors have to do? Because when you're a pastor and all that's going on, your whole life, you've got people trying to get you off the fundamentals. So basically, I read the book. And Peterson said, if you're a pastor, you need to be studying the Word of God. Well, shoot, I knew that before I was a pastor. Guys who aren't pastors know that a pastor is supposed to be studying the Word of God. So why is that an issue? For the same reason that the stuff you're supposed to be doing and whatever you do is so hard to do because there's always something to pull you off the fundamental. Right? Right. If you're a pastor, you need to be studying the Word of God. If you're a pastor, you need to be spending time in prayer. Huh. Oh, that's, well, I've never heard that before. I've heard it all my life. Well, why do you write a book about it? Because we get pulled here and we get pulled there and we forget the fundamentals. You've got to work the angles. Whatever you do, there are certain fundamentals that you need to focus upon. Now, last week we talked about, we're talking about the fundamentals of, of living the Christian life. And last week we talked about the centrality of the Bible. So here we are on Wednesday night. What are we doing? we got a Bible study going on. Why are we studying the Bible? Because everything comes, everything in regard to Christianity comes out of the Bible. If, if you're not in the Bible, you don't have Christianity. So that's why the Bible is a big deal around here on, on Sundays and on Wednesdays. And there's all kinds of stuff going on here in this building throughout the week. It's based on the Bible. Now, we know that. It's a fundamental all Scripture is inspired by God. So that's our focus. That's, that's, our, that's our foundation. Tonight, I want to take the next step. And it's so closely related to what we talked about last week that, that sometimes we miss it. Um, if you have your Bible, turn with me to Joshua chapter 1. 
In Joshua 1, Joshua is taking over the leadership of the nation from Moses. He has been uh, the assistant and sidekick, if you will, to, to Moses. But now Moses is dead and Joshua's taken over. And so as he's assuming this role of leadership, the Lord is speaking to him in Joshua chapter 1. And he's going to be the guy who's going to take the people into the promised land. He's the guy that's going to do it. So we pick it up in chapter 1, verse 7. Actually, let's pick up 6. The Lord says to him, Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. They've been waiting for 40 years to get in there. You know that story. Only be strong and very courageous. Now watch this. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Uh, when he's talking about the law, he's talk, I mean, they didn't have the whole Bible. They had a portion of it. Uh, you know, the early books of, of the scriptures, uh, that was all they had. So when it's talking about the law, it's talking about the word of God. All right, so, so this is what we were talking about last week. Notice what God says to him. Verse 7, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law or according to all the word which Moses, my servant, commanded you. That's what we were talking about last week. Now watch this. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate. There's the key word. You shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. You've got some fundamentals there. The fundamental of the Word of God. We know the importance of the Word of God. He's reminded of the importance of the Word of God in verse 7. But then it it's taken another step. And the next step is, look it, just don't believe in the importance of the Word of God because, you see, it's possible to revere the Bible but never interact with the Bible. There are a lot of people, I mean, folks that have been raised in Christian circles, and they revere the Bible. Every time we swear in somebody in this country, I mean, I think we still do this, they put their hand on a Bible. Now, that's probably not going to last a whole lot longer, but for now, we do that until there's a lawsuit. Uh, but we put our hand on the Bible. Why? We revere the Bible. You wouldn't be here if you didn't revere the Bible. But there's a step beyond revering the Bible, and there's a step beyond reading the Bible, and it's the step of meditating on the Bible. So what does that mean? Well, well look, look again. You shall meditate on it day and night. Well, how, how can I do that? Well, we're going to see how we do it in a minute. Uh, it's, it's the con uh, Flip over to Romans chapter 12. We'll be flipping around tonight, different sections of Scripture. Our fundamental tonight is the fundamental of meditation. Meditation on the Word of God. And we've got to learn how to do this discipline of meditating on the Word of God. Uh, Romans chapter, uh, how come I can't find Romans here? It's in here, I know it's in here. Romans 12, note verse 2. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When we come to the Lord, when he draws us to himself, we become new creatures in Christ. We're given new hearts. The heart is a big deal in Christianity. And when the Bible talks about the heart, it's talking about you. It's talking about it's talking about everything about you. When the Bible talks about the heart, uh, Deuteronomy 6, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Well, it's just not talking, it's not talking, you know, you, know, you put on a heart monitor thing. When, it, when the Hebrew concept of a heart, that's you. When somebody dies, uh, and I told you the story about when my grandpa died, and I went to his, I was six, seven years old, and there's an open casket, and I'm a little kid, I look in there, he's not there. Well, why not? His heart's gone. 
His heart's gone, his mind, his soul, his personality. That's the shell. When the Bible speaks of the heart, it includes the mind, it includes the will, it includes your personality. It's you. It's, it's, this isn't necessarily you. This is the packaging. You know that. When the Bible talks about the heart, it's also talking about the mind. So watch this. Don't be conformed to this world. What does that mean? Remember when you were in high school? Remember how important it is when you're in high school to be popular? Well, how do you get to be popular in high school? You got to conform. You got to you got to dress the way everybody else is dressing to be cool. You got to say what everybody else is saying. You got to do what everybody else is doing. Uh, you know, kids, high school kids get all tripped up because they want to be popular. And one of the things as fathers we've got to do with our kids when they're in high school is say, look, it, it's more important to me that you be respected than, than you be popular. A lot of times if you're, if you're respected, uh, look, it, when you're conformed, most of your peers are going the wrong way. That's not, you know when you're a dad, you're trying to help your kids work through peer pressure? And that starts pretty early, doesn't it? But have you noticed peer pressure doesn't stop when you get out of high school? In high school, most guys are going the wrong way. They're going the wrong path. Uh, but I, hey, how many of you guys are in your 20s? Let me see your hands. Most of your peers are going the wrong way. They're on the wrong path. How many of you guys are in your 30s? Your peers, most of them are going the wrong way, wrong path. 40s, 50s, 60s. Most men, whoever your peers are, they're going the wrong way. Now, when it says don't conform to this world, most men are conformed to this world. They're talking about the world system. It's the, it's the anti-God, it's the anti-truth um, uh, frame of mind. And it doesn't mean everyone who's anti-God is belligerent anti-God. You can be passively anti-God. You can be a nice guy and be anti-God and be anti-truth. Um, you know that's true, especially in this culture. So it says, don't be conformed to this world. In other, words, in other words, don't think like this world. Don't act like this world. When we come to the Lord, what he's going to do, we're going to start a process, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your, what? Mind. John Stott, years ago, wrote a little book that, man, it had a powerful punch. I read it when I was in my 20s. And the book, the little title was, Your Mind Matters. And it does. It does. As a man thinks in his heart, Proverbs says, so is he. Interesting. Or we could say this, as a man thinks in his mind. See, we, we, I don't think in my heart. Well, it's the Hebrew term. It, it, the mind is included in the heart. As a man thinks in his heart, in his mind, so is he. We know that's true. So here's what happens. We come to the Lord, and he gives us a new heart, and he gives us new life. Old things are passed away, all things become new. So we're starting this process of spiritual growth and spiritual maturity. So what's going to be the key? Well, it's what we talked about last week. We've got to have the Word of God to grow. That's, that's, our, that's our chow. That's our food. That's our K-rations. That's our, our, our meat and potatoes. It's our AEC, chromium, potassium. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So i got to be feasting on this word. You don't grow without the Bible. That's what we talked about last week. But, but, but see, it, take, it, go, it goes another step. Don't be conformed to this world. Don't think like you used to think. Don't act like you used to act. In other words, I ought to be coming... I should be in the process of becoming a better man because I've met Christ. It ought to come out in my life. Um, I mean, this just makes sense, doesn't it? The whole point is to grow. That's the whole point. Now, we have a little guest with us in the bleachers back there. Is, is her name Hallie? And how old's Hallie? Four months. Yeah. Now, the, look, this is very exciting to have this little girl, uh, especially when she sleeps at night. It's extremely exciting when kids go to sleep. 
when they take Allie in for her annual checkup, they're going to measure her, they're going to weigh her, and they're going to compare it to a chart. And you know, as well as I know, that if they don't see signs of growth, something's wrong. Now, that's true in our lives spiritually. How do we grow? Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is where I put the Word of God into my mind, but it goes another step. If I'm going to grow, not only do, am I aware of the Word, but I've got to be meditating on the Word. Flip over to Psalm 1, if you would. I'll show you how important this is. This just, hey, hey guys, let me tell you something. This is the most practical realistic thing in the world. This is not pie in the sky. This is not some kind of, we're talking about biblical meditation. Let me tell you something. This is how you live. This is how you make it when you're in crisis and when you're in trials and when you're in difficulty. Psalm 1, um, notice this with, with Romans 12, okay, what we just read. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Watch this. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. That's a guy that's not conforming to the world. He doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. He used to, but not anymore because the Lord has changed his life. How blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. We used to get bad counsel from people that were contrary to God, and we thought it was good wisdom, and we thought it was good counsel. But it wasn't. How blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners. We used to stand in the path of sinners. The Bible says, he who walks with wise men will be wise. But you walk with foolish men, you walk with immoral men, and if you stand in the path of sinners, and let me tell you something, it's a big path and it's a big surge, and it's a herd. You know what's going to happen? You're going to get caught up in it. What did Jesus say? Broad is the road that leads to destruction. But narrow is the gate that leads to life, and few are those who find it. So this guy is not standing on Broadway. He doesn't stand in the path of sinners. We used to. But see, he's being transformed by the renewing of his mind. Notice the next thing it says. How blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. The those who call into question the existence of God, those who mock God, those who are caustic and sarcastic. You we used to, we don't anymore. Now watch this. See, that's a guy who doesn't conform. Now watch verse 2. This is wild. Watch how he is transformed by the renewing of his mind. You guys, get, you guys watching this? Okay. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he, there it is again, meditates day and night. This Hebrew word for meditate, by the way, the root, it, it, it comes from a root which means to mutter. M-U-T-T-E-R. You ever mutter? You don't want to admit it, but you do. The older we get, the more we mutter. Remember that great song, Hello Mother, Hello Father? <laughs> That's not what we're talking about. Here I am at Camp Granada. Things are very entertaining. This, this song's coming back to me, even as I, because I meditated on it for so many years. Uh, Alan Sherman, remember that guy? One of the great hymns of the faith, I believe that was. It means to mutter. To meditate means to mutter. What do you mean to mutter? Isn't it interesting the older we get, the more we talk to ourselves out loud. Have you had this? <laughs> I know you have. You, you've thought you were in the house all by yourself, and you're talking out loud? I, I mean, maybe three months ago, I was, I was I, I'm in the kitchen, and I, I was thinking about something. Out loud, I started talking about myself. And I didn't know my daughter Rachel had come home the night before and spent the night. And she walks in and says, Dad, what'd you say? Uh, I didn't want to tell her what I said. 
I mean, it was embarrassing. I, mean, I was kind of shocked. I'm still shocked. She caught me. I felt like an idiot. I was muttering. I was thinking about something, and I was talking out loud. See? In a sense, that's what meditation is. You know something, and what you're doing is you're, you're thinking it out. You're pondering. You're kicking it around. You're chewing on it. That's what meditation is. Now watch this. So this guy in verse 2. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. So what does that mean? Do you think about the Bible all day long? I mean, how do you get any work done? The Bible's very practical. It's just so practical. What does this mean, to meditate? I'll tell you what it means. You interact with the Scripture, and you sort of put it on the back burner of your mind. And as you are going through your daily life, you're living life through the grid of the Word of God. That's your reference point. And you've got Scripture, it's always kind of on the back burner. It's always kind of on simmer. It's, uh, um, I, I, my fax machine, to, to fax something to me at home, you used to have to call, and then I'd have to push a button. It was a pain in the rear end. I just thought, you know what, I'm not doing it anymore. So I got a dedicated fax line. And we brought the fax machine over here on Sunday morning and Chuck dedicated it. It was, it was neat. <laughs> and they gave us a certificate. It was pretty neat. No, what's a dedicated fax line? We don't use that phone line for anything except that fax machine. So, so you know what? Something's coming through. There's, it, there's always, you can always get through. You can always get through. It's always there. It's always available. It's not, I'm not always thinking about it, but, but it's always there because it's dedicated. That's meditation. You've always got an open channel, and it's simmering with the Word of God. It's your grid is how you walk through life. See, now that's not how we used to live, but it's how we're living now because we used to be conformed to the world, but now we're being transformed by the renewing of our minds, and my mind matters. What I put into my mind is important. Now watch this. When I put the scriptures into my mind, and, and let me, let me uh, piggyback off something Chuck said on Sunday, at least at the service I was at. He, he, was talking, uh, he was talking about scripture memory. That's important, guys. It's important. Now, you say, oh, man, you just put me under the pile. I'm not trying to put you under the pile. I'm not saying you got to memorize. Hey, oh, oh, he was quoting Martin Luther. That Martin Luther said every Christian ought to memorize the book of Romans. Well, let me put that on my to-do list. Now, that's a great thing. I think that's a wonderful thing. Have I done that? I personally haven't done it. I know, I know some, I got some verses memorized out of Romans. I don't have the whole thing memorized. But that can put you under a pile. But don't get under a pile. You say, oh, I can never memorize scripture. Yeah, you can. Well, well, and, and you know what? Let me tell you something. It'll make a huge difference in your life. Because you've got to put the Word of God into your mind. You've got to have something there to chew on. You've got to have something there to, to be working on. You see? You can't fight sin without the Word of God. Can I, can I tell you? Let me give you a tip on memorizing Scripture. When you're reading Scripture... And I've told you about my little calendar that takes me through the Bible. I, I just read through the Bible every year, and I have this little calendar. There's a bunch of ways you can do it. But that's, at a minimum, something I do. You say, oh, you're a pastor. You're supposed to do that. Yeah, I did it. I just do it. I can't live without it. I, I, I can't live without doing that. Um, so I make it. Do I hit it? Let me tell you something. Uh, the last 24 hours for me have been absolutely insane. Uh, I've had more meetings in the last 24 hours than I normally have in an entire month. And uh, so this morning, I had to... Anyway. I had a meeting that I wasn't planning on having, but I had it. So I, I get out of my normal routine this morning. I haven't gone through my, what I normally do this morning in the Scriptures. I haven't done it. 
But I'll tell you something, that's unusual for me. I usually start my morning with the scriptures. Uh, I'll start in the morning with it. I, I, do I hit it every single morning? No, but I hit it about 90% because I can't live without it. Now, let me tell you something else. Let, let, let me mention this to you about memorizing Scripture. This is simple stuff. You say, oh, I can't do that. Yeah, you can. How the heck did I just remember that song from 1966? Hello, mutter, hello, fodder. Well, it was played over and over again. How come... You can hear a Beatles song you haven't heard in 30 years and you start singing along and you know every, you know every word. Why is that? Because you're a reprobate, that's why. <laughs> you're utterly worthless. You're what's wrong with this country. <laughs> no, it's because when we were kids, we listened to it over and over again. All right, let me tell you how you do scripture. Say I'm reading my chapters. All right, I read my chapters, okay? But there'll be a verse that'll hit me. And if there's a verse that hits me, I thought, you know what? I got to memorize this verse. What you do is you get a post-it note. And you write that verse on the post-it note. Actually, you got to write the verse on three separate post-it notes. And I'll tell you what, this is how it works. You take one of those post-it notes, you slap it on the bathroom mirror. So you get up in the morning, and you're shaving. What are you doing when you're shaving? You're doing nothing. But you're reading that. So you know what? You got that post-it note. You go, what's that verse saying? Oh, yeah, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, uh, but you shall. What did that say again? This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Okay, this book of the law shall not depart. Okay. All right, now, so you're shaving, and you get this book of the law. All right. Then you get in the car, well, you got a post-it note on your dash. Okay. If you want to memorize scripture, and you can memorize it, then you got a little day timer, you got an appointment book, you put the third post-it note on that, on that page for the week. And every time you turn to that, you got the post-it note and you see that verse. I'm going to tell you something, guys. In a week, you're going to know that verse. Because it's like hearing a Beatles song on the radio 47 times. You're going to know the words. It's real simple. So why is that a big deal? Thy word I have hid in my heart, that I may not sin against thee. Don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. All right, now watch this. That's pretty practical, isn't it? Let me tell you something else. When I want to memorize something, let me tell you what I do. I, I go through legal pads like crazy. And when I want to memorize something, or when I'm working on a passage, you know what I do? I read the passage, and then I read it again, and then I read it again, and then I read it again, and then I read it again. And at a certain point, what I'll do is, I've read it, and now what I do is, I'm reading it, and now I write it out. I just write it out. And when I'm writing that out, you know what I'm doing? I'm etching it on my mind. Doesn't mean I'm going to memorize it, but you know what? I'm familiar. I'm familiar. There's something about writing that puts it on my head somehow. I don't know how, but it does. Uh, someone said, writing makes an exact man. When you write it out. Say, why are you talking about this stuff? For, for, for the same reason, when you play football, they show you how. They show you how to throw a pass. What do you do when you throw a pass? You take that ball... What do you do? You take that ball back. You take, I'll never forget. You take it back to your, you take it right about here to your ear. Take that ball back. You take that ear. You got your, where do you want to throw the ball? Point your toe where you're going to throw that ball. Take it back to the ear, point. That's what you do. That's how you throw a pass. That's how you throw a spiral. So you want to hit this guy over here? Don't point this way. You want to hit him? Point, ear. That's a fundamental. You want to memorize scripture? Three post-it notes. Write it out. Mirror. Dash. Daytime. Is this making sense? I'm telling you, you do this this week with one verse. You'll come in here. You got it memorized. We're going to give you a gold star. <laughs> it's, no, it's not rocket science. It's just what you do. You're working on, a, on an issue in your life. You're working on an issue with, with lust or with pornography or something. And a verse hits you. Write it out, man. Put the word of God in your mind. All right, now watch this. You guys still with me? 
So this is how you do it. Hey, this is how you do Christianity. This is the nuts and bolts of Christianity. I see all these people running around. They want an experience. You know, they're going to meetings. They're always going to meetings. And, you know, and... <laughs> hey, let me tell you something, man. Get the Bible in your head. Get it in your mind. I don't know why I'm... Put the Bible in your mind and do it. And think on it. And chew on it. Meditate on it. Okay. I don't know how many of you I offended, but... Where am I? Now let me tell you why this is important. Because when you're putting it on the back of your head and you got scripture, and you're putting the word of God in your mind... There's a benefit that comes into your life. Now watch this. This is wild. And this ties in exactly what God said to Joshua. Watch this. Uh, His delight is in the law of the Lord. In his law he meditates day and night. Watch this. He will be like a tree. Firmly planted by streams of water. Um. First time we went to England, the only time I've been to England, we had some friends, and we were going to take some time, and they say, if you go to the Cotswolds out in the country, you got to go to, I can never get this name right, you got to go to Bibbury, a little village called Bibbury. One of the English poets said, Bibbury is the most exquisite of all English villages. So we went to Bibbury. Let me tell you something. You know those uh, Thomas Kincaid paintings that are around? With the little stone cottage and the thatched roof and the, and the stream. Bibbery. Everywhere you look, Bibbery. You come into town over this little stone bridge about 400 years old, and there's a trout farm that's been there for hundreds of years. There's one of those old water mills. It was an old, you know, in the Cotswold, that's where they had all the sheep and did all the wool, uh, did all the, what do you call it? Yarn, sheep, but you know, yeah. You know what I'm talking about. Cashmere stuff, yeah, 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 okay. And they built these stone cottages for the workers and for the, I mean, everywhere, I mean, everywhere you look, it's a, it's a postcard, everywhere. So we're in Bibbury, and, uh, and you come into town, and there's that little trout farm, and there's this gorgeous little a crystal clear stream meandering through these stone cottages, and then you go around, and we stayed at this inn, which is attached to a church that was built in the 7th century by the Normans. And they still have services there every Sunday morning. Yeah. But you walk outside, and, and there's that clear, beautiful stream still meandering. I'm going to tell you something. There are these, I have never in my life seen oak trees like I saw in England. I've never seen an oak tree in the States to compare with the oak trees I saw in Bibbury. And I'm walking down that path with Mary, and here's this clear, beautiful, meandering stream. And I look down that pathway, and there are these oaks that are the biggest oaks I've ever seen in my life, and they are majestic. I looked at that, and I thought, and he shall be like a tree, firmly planted by streams of water. Now, the thing about those oaks, you see them, you see the size, you see the grandeur. Let me tell you something. What's really amazing is the root system that you never see. Why are those trees, Ray Stedman, when he did his little thing on Psalm 1 in his little book. Ray said there's something, there are two things about a great tree. Number one is beauty. Number two is strength. Some of those trees are 600 years old, 700 years old. How can that be? Well, they've had an easy life. Not really. Have they been through some storms? Yeah, but they're firmly planted by streams of water. they got a root system that goes down deep. And if you were to pull that oak right out of the ground somehow, you'd find that there's more 
length under it than there is above the ground. That's how deep it goes. And that's what, see, it's firmly planted by streams of water. I'll never forget that. Never forget it. You go to, uh, you go to the Sierras, the west slope of the Sierras in California, just outside the San Joaquin Valley. You go up to Yosemite. You're gonna, you're, you're gonna, there's, there's Sequoia National Park, and they got the giant redwoods, the giant sequoias. Let me tell you something. Biggest trees in the world. There's beauty and there's strength. You go to Maui. Uh, I hate going to Maui, but I'll go. Someone needs to preach the gospel. I'll go. You go to Maui, there's that little whaling village called Lahaina. You been there? Remember that banyan tree? It's a whole block. A banyan tree. I never heard of a banyan tree. You go, you gotta go see the banyan tree. We are, I mean that that banyan tree is is maybe maybe would cover two thirds of this room. Uh, what do you, you guys have been there? I, I don't want to exaggerate, but I mean it's a whole city block. It's unbelievable. There's a root system. Any storms come into Lahaina? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Why is that tree stand? It's firmly planted. Now you know what? How do we get through life? How do we get through the storm's life? By not being conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of, my, of your mind. And when I renew my mind, I'm like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. And you know what happens? When, when Christ does that work in my life, he deepens me. And, and let me tell you something. You, become, you know, Isaiah it talks about the fact, it says, they shall be called oaks of righteousness. You know what your family needs? Your family needs a big old oak tree right there at the kitchen table, right there in the living room. Just a big old oak tree just going right up through the roof, firmly planted in streams of water. How do I become that man? Not conform to the world, transform, renewing of my mind. All right, what? I, I, I'll stay in this all night. I can't do that. Watch this. Like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. You guys ever get this Harry and David stuff? It's pretty good stuff. It's pretty good fruit. I lived in Oregon for five years. There's a lot of fruit in Oregon. You can take that however you want to take it, but what I meant by that was, I meant there's a lot of fruit in Oregon. That's what I meant, and there is. There are unbelievable raspberries, there's blueberries, there's blackberries. Uh, you get down in southern Oregon around Medford and the Rogue River, and, and they've got beautiful apple orchards, and they're up in Washington too, but my gosh. And that Harry and David is based in southern Oregon. And if someone gives you a Christmas present, you, you know that is the primo top-of-the-line fruit. It's the very best. Well, I'm letting the Word of God saturate my mind. As I go through life, I'm going to be like a tree which yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf doesn't wither. Whatever he does, he prospers. Did you get that? Does that mean you're going to be incredibly wealthy? Uh, no. No. What it means is, is that God is going to bless your life. You know, there are different ways to be prosperous. You know that, don't you? He's going to meet all of our needs. But isn't it nice to be prosperous in relationships? Isn't it nice to be prosperous because your, your relationships are clean? And when there's conflict, you take care of it and you handle it. And See, God prospers you. I mean, you, 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 ever just, you, ever just, you ever just get a moment of realization and say, you know, Lord, you've really been good to me. Great is thy faithfulness. Blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. See, that's a prosperous life. Where does that all come from? It comes from the word of God putting it in your head and living your life through the grid and as you're making choices and decisions, not living the way you used to, 
but living this way. You say, oh, I want to do that, Steve, but I, I'm not getting it quite the way. Well, you're in process. You're growing, man. You don't get this overnight. You don't jump in a Christian microwave and punch. Wouldn't that be nice? You know how they have all those things? Baked potato, you know, so many minutes. Wouldn't that be great if there was that Christian microwave? And you just hit it, get in there. Hmm. Hey. Doesn't work that way. But you're moving along, aren't you? Yeah, I want to move along. Okay, great. Did you see that there? Oh, oh by the way, verse, i got to read verses 4 and 5. Because this is the way we used to live before we knew Christ. See, this is the guy who's conformed to the world instead of being... Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed. So he just pictures the guy that's being transformed, and in 4 and 5, he's showing the guy who's conformed to the world. Watch this. He says, the wicked are not so. What do you mean they're not so? They're not like the guy that's in the Word of God. There ought to be a difference in how they live and how they think and how they act. They're like chaff, which the wind dries away. We don't know a lot about chaff these days. You know what I like to say? Um... um, for some reason, I have, the word pollen comes to my mind right now. Uh, the wicked are not so. They're like the pollen, which the wind drives away. Pollen's everywhere right now. That's how we were before we knew Christ. What does the Bible say? A double-minded man is unstable in all his way. He's just like pollen. He's here, he's here. He doesn't know what he's doing. Why? He's not anchored. He's not firmly planted by streams of water. He's not in the Word. The Word's not in him. Uh, Therefore, the wicked won't stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. We've been redeemed from that. And he wants to grow me, and he wants to mature me, and he wants me to develop me into an oak of righteousness. You guys still there? Okay. I think I'm going to do a series... um, in the fall on healthy eating. I just want to be uh, contemporary, and I want to be relevant to the culture. And I've been reading about, uh, I think I need to be more contemporary, to reach out. And that seems to be a, I'm just screwing around, forget it. (laughs) That's just a little pet peeve I have when I see churches doing stuff like that. You know? And they're doing it. You know what? Preach the Bible. Teach it. It'll change people's lives. Okay, I'm kind of hacked off tonight. Just kind of generally speaking, I'm just kind of hacked. Huh? That's it. Too many meetings. I was not called to that. I've gotten off the fundamentals. Okay. What? I did. I, I, I did turn it off, and I'm going to continue to do That's why I won't buy an iPhone, by the way. Now, when the me phone comes out, I'll get the me phone, but I'm not, I don't have an iPhone. Look at Deuteronomy 17. Hey, guys, let me show you how important this is to God, okay? Look at Deuteronomy 17. In Deuteronomy 17, God has given instructions to the king of Israel. And what's interesting, in Deuteronomy, they didn't have a king. But God knew that one day... They're going to say, oh, we want a king like all the other nations. Why are they going to say we want a king like all the other nations? Because they're conformed to the world. That's why we want to be like everybody else. Well, why don't you trust me, and I'll take care of you. You don't need a king. I'm your king. But no, he knew their hearts. So before they ever asked for a king, God says, by the way, when you want a king, here's what the king needs to do. And so he gives all these things for the guy who's going to be king um, you know, they're not to increase, uh, by the way, like in verse 15, it says, uh, I'm in Deuteronomy 17. Uh, by the way, you know, our founding fathers got, where, where does law come from? Well, a lot of law, uh, listen, the vast majority of our laws originally in our constitution came from the word of God. You want to know why we can't have a president in our country who's not a citizen born in this country? Because of Deuteronomy 17, verse 15. That's why. Do you see that? You shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses, one from among your countrymen. You shall set as king over yourselves. You may not put a foreigner over yourselves who is not your countryman. 
had to be born in Israel. No charge on that one. Uh, verse 16, uh, the king couldn't multiply horses. Why can't you multiply horses? Because horses pulled chariots, and God didn't want them trusting in chariots. God wanted them trusting in him. Okay? Verse 17, you can't have multiple wives. You can only have one wife. Now, did the kings follow that? No. Because they conformed to the world. Well, all the other kings have many wives, so I won't have many wives. All many wives, all that does is screw you up. Right? You can't handle one wife. So what David do? Oh, he's got his wives. And what Solomon do? He's going to outdo his dad. Oh, my gosh. Okay. They didn't do what God said. They knew what God said, but they didn't meditate and do it. Okay. Look at 18. Now, here we, here we go. Watch this. So when you get a new king, when the old guy dies and his son gets on the throne, watch this. It shall come about when he sits on the throne of his kingdom. He shall write for himself a copy of this law on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priest. When you got a new king in Israel, he didn't go down and buy a Bible at Barnes & Noble. He had to write out his own copy, handwritten, of the Word of God. Why? Because he had to know it. And when you write, you tend to write on your mind. Isn't that interesting? Had to write out. No, don't give him a copy. He's got to write it out. Watch this. Watch this. Verse 19. It shall be with him, and he shall read it some of the days of his life. He shall read it. All the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God. Why do you need to learn to fear the Lord your God? Well, because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and righteousness and knowledge. And the fear of the Lord is to turn away from evil. And you go on and on and on. Okay. He shall read it all the days of his life. Read what? The word of God that he, his hand, copied. He'll read it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by carefully observing all the words of this law and these statutes. That's exactly what God said to Joshua. That his heart may not be lifted above his countrymen, that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right or to the left. That's what God said to Joshua. So that he and his sons may continue long in his kingdom in the midst of Israel. You guys kind of getting why this stuff is important? We're not saying you got to study the Bible all day. We're not saying you quit your job and go to Dallas Seminary. We're not saying that. But we're saying you got to carve out time in your life for the Scriptures. I mean, if you're going to grow, it's just what you have to do. And as you're going, okay, so you memorize it. And as you're going through, as you're going through life, you got the Scriptures in your head, and you're and you're living through that grid of Scripture. And what the Spirit of God does, the Spirit of God will use Scripture to control you. That's what he does. Man, once again, I got more stuff than I can cover tonight. Um, go to 2 Chronicles 20 real quick. I think I am going to do that cooking series next fall. Yeah. We'll do a week on, uh, a night on vegetables and then a night on souffles and a night on just trying to be culturally relevant, guys. I say chump that stuff. We'll study the Bible. Go to, uh, go to 2 Chronicles 20. If you're in Deuteronomy, go to the right. If you found Psalms, go left. You'll find it. Uh, 2 Chronicles 20. Now, now, okay. So you remember what it said about the king? The king had to write out his own copy of the, wor of the word of God, right? Okay. So you got all these kings coming along, okay? You get to 2 Chronicles 20, you got this king by the name of Jehoshaphat. If you were here a few years ago when we did our study called Living Lessons from Dead Kings, you remember Jehoshaphat. Uh, Jehoshaphat was one of the good guys, but he made some mistakes like we make mistakes. And he had an alliance with one of the worst kings, a guy named Ahab. He never should have had anything to do with but he screwed up and he made an alliance with Ahab. Um, so you get into 2 Chronicles chapter 20, and uh, let me set the stage for you. 
Let me tell you why it's important to be in the Word of God and why it's important to put the Word of God in your mind and why it's important to be chewing on the Word of God. You guys know what I mean when I say meditate? As you go, you just kind of chew on it. You just kind of, it's there. You're aware of it. It governs your life. Something's going to govern your life, right? Okay. So you got the Word of God in your head. The more of the Word you got in your head, the better off you're going to be. So, so you're just going through life. You're just living life. And in the fall, we did our deal on our, our, our study on events. Remember, we talked about the unplanned events and the unforeseen events, and, and we'll suddenly be in a crisis. You remember that? Sure you do. The Red Sea? Some of you guys say, that's where I am right now. All right? Are we in crisis every day of our lives? Yeah. No, we're, no, we're, we're not. God gives us breaks. Sometimes suddenly you're in a big crisis. Well, Jehoshaphat's just cruising along. All of a sudden, he's in a big crisis. Watch this. Now, now let me tell you why it's important to be putting the word of God in your head on a daily basis. Because, you see, it's important to meditate daily because there's going to be a point down the road where you're going to hit a crisis and you're really going to need the word of God. I mean, there's, there's daily meditation and there's crisis meditation. I want, I want you to see how the Word of God made a difference in this guy's life when he hit a crisis, okay? 22 of Second Chronicles. Then some came and reported to Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea out of Aaron. All, the, their enemies are coming. I mean, a great, great multitude. Now, that's not a big deal to us, but let me tell you something. It, it scared this sucker to death. Look at verse 3. Jehoshaphat was afraid. Isn't that what happens in a crisis? Suddenly you're afraid. Man, suddenly you're, I mean, you're, you're sweating it. Okay? Jehoshaphat was afraid. Watch this. I'm in the Book of Mormon, Nephi. I'm in, what did I say? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah, um... 2 Chronicles 20, thank you. Verse 3, that's where I am. Ask them, they know where I am. Okay, thank you. Jehoshaphat was afraid and turned his attention to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to seek help from the Lord. They even came from all the cities of Judah to seek the Lord. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. Now, this is a big-time crisis because they can't handle these guys that are coming. Now, now, watch this. Watch his prayer and watch what he says in verse 6. And he said, O Lord, the God of our fathers. Now, where did he get that? That means the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he knew all about his fathers because he wrote it out. He knew his history. He knew why they knew God. He knew that God was called out. Abraham was called out by God. Abraham went out not knowing where he was going. No, this is the God of my fathers. I've got a history here. Now watch this. Oh, Lord, the God of our fathers, are you not God in the heavens? Yes, you are. Well, how does he know he's God in the heavens and controls the heavens? Because he wrote out the word of God, and he's got it not only on a scroll, but he's got it in his head. See, when you hit crisis, that's when you need truth. Are you not ruler over all the kingdom of the nations? Yes. Well, how do you know that? Because it's in the book. See, this guy is calling out to God. This is a cry of desperation. He's not looking up verses. This is coming out of his heart. And what's in his heart? The truth about God. And, and say, hey, look, when you've got a great horde coming against you that you can't handle and you can't fight, if you've got a God that's a God who's in control of everything and everybody, you've got some hope, man. Right? Do you see the theology in this prayer? Do you see the Bible stuff in this prayer? He goes on and he says, Power and might are in your hand so that no one can stand against you. (laughs) 
I've been in a little bit of a crisis for about six months. And I can't tell you about it yet, but I will one day. And uh, I'm going to tell you something. Um, God's been very, very faithful. He's been very faithful. But he put me on hold for about six months. While I was waiting for him. And you know what I lived off of? I was living off of. I probably ought to tell you guys what the crisis is because you're imagining all kinds of things. But it was just, it was, I'll tell you about it sometime. But it was, it was just something that was very uncomfortable. And decisions were going to be made that were going to affect me. They were out of my control. And you know when it started? In the fall, when I started teaching on events that scare us, I taught that on a Wednesday night, and if I'm not mistaken, it was Friday. I got the call. And I thought, oh, this is good. I hate it when God wants me to apply what I'm teaching. (laughs) I don't mind teaching it. I just don't want to do it. And I'll tell you what, I had a pretty... Darn significant answer to prayer this afternoon at 2.30 that I've been praying about for six months. But the thing that kept me going, the thing that kept me going was exactly what this guy is praying right here. I'll tell you the thing that kept me going. Look at verse 12 of 2 Chronicles 20. I've been praying this for six months. He cries out to God and he says, Oh God, will you not judge them? Now here's my application. We are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us. Nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. That'll calm you down. Why would that calm you down? Hey, I'm powerless. I can't handle this, all that's coming against me. Okay, hey, you know what? There is nothing I can do here. But I'm going to tell you something. My eyes are on you. And who are you? You're the God of the universe that runs everything and runs everybody. And what's going to happen is what you determine to happen. That's what's going to happen. The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom then shall I fear? Right? (laughs) Tell you something, guys. This stuff's real. It's real. And he'll scare the tar out of you as you're in crisis, waiting for him to come through and be faithful. And sometimes it looks, there's no way. There's no way. And and what does he do? He makes a way. He makes a way. In this situation where I had this remarkable answer to prayer, uh, basically he made a way yesterday morning at about 7.30. And that's what affected the outcome. I'll tell you about it sometime. So how would I sleep at night? By meditating on the Word of God. That's how I'd sleep. Be anxious for nothing. Yeah, but you don't know about this deal. Be anxious for nothing. You know, you know how you can trans. You know what I've written in my Bible in Philippians four when it says, "Be anxious for nothing." I've written over that. Um, refuse to worry. Hey Steve, refuse to worry. I've got it handled. I got it handled, man. I'm for you. I'm for you. I'm going to make a way, but I got to be thinking biblically who He is and living off the promises while I'm waiting for him to come through. Does that make sense? Hey, let me tell you something. We're all dealing with this. I deal with it. You don't think Chuck deals with it? He deals with it. You don't, any, I don't care who you are or what you do, you're dealing with this. There's no shortcuts. Nobody's exempt. It's called walking by faith. And it's the greatest life in the world. But it's tough. It's tough. And it's not for the weak-hearted who won't put the Word of God in their heads 
and chew on it and live off it. Is this making any sense? You're darn tootin' it is. I've never said darn tootin' in my life. <laughs> sound like an old geezer, don't I? Yeah. But it's the, it's the Word of God, guys. Aren't we fortunate to know the Word? Amen. And to know the one who is the Word. Let's stand and we'll pray and honor him. Thank you, Father, for who you are and what you've done. Uh, it's, it's easy to teach. It's hard to live. But you are so patient with us. You are long-suffering. Hey, we're grown men, but we get scared. We get scared spitless sometimes. And you know our hearts. You know what we're up against. But you've given us your word. And you say, hey, be strong and courageous. Meditate on it. And Lord, when we do that, in the midst of great storms, we can be like one of those trees. We can be strong when everything, when all hell's breaking around us. We can be strong. Why? Because our roots go down deep in the word of God. And we've got hope for the future when everything's crashing. Our lives, do, our lives don't depend on what's happening with subprime mortgages and the price of gas and gold and all this. Our lives are in your hands. You're the great provider. Make a way. You know how to sell a house. You know how to give us a job. You're our God. Help us to live off this stuff. Give us, hey, I pray for guys that are in the middle of some real stress. I pray when they go home tonight, you'll let them sleep. Let them sleep and let them sleep deep as they cast all their care upon you because you care for them. In Jesus' name we pray.